Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. That was an exciting game, I thought. It was an exciting game. It a tremendous pace. Always nice to see the Oilers beat the, the Dallas Stars <clears throat> and beat, beat them handily. The score was um, five to two for the Oilers in terms of uh, grade A shots, which we track here at the Cult of Hockey. It was 18 to 11 for the Oilers. A grade A shot is a shot with a plus 20% chance of going in. Uh, generally speaking, a harder, dangerous shot from the slot that hits the net. Um, in terms of um, the even more, I find, interesting five alarm uh, shots, which have a 33% chance, 33% plus chance of going in. It was 10 to 7 for the Oilers. So a little closer there. Dallas did have some good chances, but Edmonton had more. And um, heck of a game. And because it was a heck of a game, Bruce, for our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast, we'll go with two good things each. What's your first good thing? Hey, I'm just going to add one number to yours, and that's a high danger chances according to Natural Stat Trick. In all situations, 19 to 6 for Edmonton. So they really had the Oilers just getting the shots from the good spots on the ice. Dallas had some dangerous angled shots, and I don't think they rate those. Yeah, they don't count them if they're outside the home plate area, whereas if it's a, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's a cross ice pass. Joe Pavelski blasting a one-timer from uh, just outside the first baseline or whatever of home plate, uh, it still can be a one-time uh, a grade A shot for sure. Can even be a wonder, five alarm from there. I wonder why they don't track it. I guess in their code, they don't yet have a code for a pass that goes either low high from right. the low to the high slot right. or from across the seam, uh, across seam. <coughs> they don't yet um, yeah. have that. Their computer's not yet able to do that. Once they do, they'll. you could probably, yes. um, passes of a certain length that are diagonal across the seam might be... Um, started to count a little differently. Yeah, they just t- count the type of shot and where it was taken from. So they do rank like a slap shot above a, uh, you know, a backhand shot because, you know, and a one-timer yeah. is more likely to be a slap shot, for instance. But uh, uh, <clears throat> they, the shot location is a key. And often we find that the movement of the play, of the goalies, of the traffic in front uh, uh, has a lot to say about whether it really was a dangerous chance or not. And some of the ones they count as high danger chances are relatively routine for the goalie. So they just dribble on that. Now, of course, our our you know the uh, our method is subjective, mm-hmm. and it's it's you and I doing yep. our best to um, yep. to you know based on criteria and years of experience now mixed in with that and being transparent about it. We try to to report what we see. So, you know, no system's perfect. All right. Um, start it off, Bruce. What's your good thing? Oh, right. My good thing is <laughs> me. Uh, for my reverse curse that I put on the Oilers wingers, who are my real good thing in this thing, I wrote a post this morning saying that the uh, Oilers wingers had been very unproductive for scoring goals this last while. And uh, many of them had streaks stretching back to the beginning of April or further still. Uh, without putting any pucks in the net. Uh, the last uh, uh, winger not named Warren Fogle, the last top six winger to score for the Oilers was Yesa Pugliarvi in Anaheim like two weeks ago. And 
my underlying point was the team's playing pretty good, even though it's not quite firing on all cylinders, because we know these guys are capable of putting more in the net. And I was thinking, you know, it's it's high time we broke out of this this uh, slump. And if, if I say something, maybe they'll that's the way the cookie will crumble. And sure enough, Evander Kane powered one home at the 3:12 mark of the first period. His first five-on-five goal since March 19th, a month ago. Kane scored a few in other situations, shorthanded, empty net, there, uh, Oilers net empty, uh, <clears throat> power play. But the, anyway, he uh, uh, he's had a long drought of five-on-five. Five. He ended that very quickly in tonight's game with a great finish of a great setup from McDavid on a flying rush. <clears throat> uh, three minutes later, Derek Ryan ended a 20-game drought by pounding home a, a rebound uh, on a... Tr- End of a tremendous effort by uh, by the Oilers, uh, and then um, uh, after Dallas came back, took over the game for a little while, I thought, and tied at two-two. Uh, Zach Hyman, who had a terrific game tonight, uh, broke the tie by deflecting a, a dry saddle shot on goal, and then recovering his own rebound and and uh, making the deposit to put Oilers ahead. Uh, that was his goal, first goal in since April the first, and then Pulleyarvi. He um, uh, finally got a bounce. Man, he hasn't had much luck around the net. So, uh, but here was a play where he was doing what he does a lot of, which is get in the shooting lane and, you know, get in the line of fire to screen the other team's goalie. And this was one that hit him on the on the leg, an outside shot by Evan Bouchard, and uh, uh, hit him on the leg and caromed off the inside of the goalpost and into the net. So not exactly a high skill goal by by Yeso, just a grinder's. Hard work goal, uh, but a well-deserved goal. So four wingers scored the four goals that actually beat Scott Wedgwood in the and the uh, um, net uh, Dallas net tonight. <clears throat> and honestly, David, I thought all the wingers played good. I thought Yamamoto was terrific in this game, even as he hardly had any shots. I'm not sure did he have. He had uh, two shots. But he was on the ice for eight grade A or high danger chances for the Oilers and none for Dallas. And he was just all over the puck. And Zach Cassian had, you know, one or two Zach Cassian moments, but he also had a few good Zach Cassian moments in the good end, which one which I'll get into in more detail on my other good thing. And so it was really just up and down the uh, up and down the lineup. Uh, Warren Fogel, five shots, five hits, and just, you know, another just terrific. Uh, two-way effort from Fogel. So I thought really tonight the wingers uh, answered the bell in a big way and by putting the biscuit in the basket as well. I mean, they've been playing some pretty good hockey all along. You know, it's not like the the, the rest of the team's been dragging the wingers along. It's just they haven't been putting the biscuit in the basket and that changed very dramatically tonight. So I was sort of uh, in my way patting myself on the back for... Uh, for the reverse curse, <laughs> the curse, <laughs> get them the, out of it. The curse of the Bruce Bino. Uh-huh, it yeah, only lasted. Yeah. It didn't even last a day. Like a mini curse. That was like not really a curse. It was more of a <laughs> like a minor epithet. <laughs> okay, boys, time to get start start uh, start chipping in again, and they uh, responded very well. So, <laughs> and it was you know this was a good effort right across the entire lineup, but I thought the wingers really stood out in a positive way tonight. You know, Fogel is uh, winning people over here in Edmonton, Bruce. I did a poll on the trade of Ethan Bear for Warren Fogel. And I asked people, I didn't ask people who won the trade. Mm -hmm. I said, 
did did the Edmonton Oilers get a win out of that trade? And it was more than seventy percent, slightly yeah. more than seventy percent of almost three thousand people who voted. So that's mm-hmm. a, which is a huge sample size. Um, yeah. So even for a Twitter poll, it lends some credibility to the result. Um, Thanks for voting, everyone. Yeah, and for, for <laughs> participating, it makes it it it, it uh, makes it all interesting for us and gives us a sense of where Oilers fans are. And it was interesting. I, I wasn't expecting it to be that high because of no. Ethan Bear's popularity and the fact that he was a pretty good player here. Now, yes. Oh yeah. No, this I, doesn't. I miss mean, Ethan Bear. Fogel's been really yeah. good lately. This doesn't mean Ethan Bear. And I can't rate Ethan Bear in Carolina. You know, he's he's playing like third pairing minutes now. Like, and he's hasn't played every game. But um, I haven't seen him play, so I can't say. But it could be that both teams and both players got a win. Um, you know, Bear seemed happy to be on the move in the end. And, and he, you know, both teams, maybe they were trading for a need at the time. Carolina needed a right D, and the Oilers certainly needed a big, physical, fast, skilled forward, you know, for their bottom line. And I, th- I think that's what people are recognizing. Now, we're also taking the poll just during Fogel's hottest run of the season. And if we had done the same poll a month ago, probably would have been much less response in favor of uh, the Oilers getting a win. But um, he is playing well. And frankly, I believe he's played well pretty much the whole year. He's been a solid two-way player. He's been consistently getting great grade A shots on net. And he's consistently played fairly smart defensive hockey. He's he's a hard worker in his own zone. And he, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes uh, <coughs> compared to the other Oilers wingers um, that lead to great A shots against. So he's a... He's a good player. I like him. Bruce, my good thing, I, I'm going to go back to one of the goals um, that was scored. And I, now we've all heard of the Michigan now. This is the Trevor Zegras goal where you uh-huh. pick it up on your stick and tuck it in the net. And you go any you go to any stick and puck in the city now, Bruce, with kids there, and they're all trying to do that goal. They're all trying to make that move, the, the Michigan. But the bread and butter of the NHL is actually a goal call, which we, which I call the the Californian, and it's the outside shot. It's not threatening, which gets takes a crazy tip in front of the net and goes in. And I call it the Californian because for years the Oilers were haunted when they went to California, Los Angeles, Anaheim, and San Jose, having this kind of goal scored against them constantly. It was just every game. It was killing them, and. <clears throat> You score on the Californian, and you've really stuck a knife into the other team. It really hurts to get a goal like that. It's very deflating, I think. And on this play, McDavid made some great... He won the puck and made a great pass back to the point. Bouchard did his job, as he often does, putting the puck towards the net, getting it through the screen, you know. No yeah. no, no uh, dead shin pads when Evan Bouchard's on the ice. I mean, there's some maybe some dead legs... If he, he yeah. does manage, if he hits you in the leg, that would hurt. I was covering. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So he did his job. And then, yes, Apuliarvi. Now, someone just described that goal as not a high skill goal. I think that was a goal worthy of Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruce. The way he flew through the air and deflected the puck in with his skate. <laughs> that was quite a play. Now, of course, it was inadvertent. But um, like you say, we'll good things it. happen when you're screening the goalie. Mm-hmm. And. Um, he was bound to get a goal. I was just thinking that just earlier in the game, like he's just bound yeah. to score because he's always in front of the net. Like people who think he's not physical, just watch the pounding. Yes, Apuliarvi takes in front of the net, game in, game out, and how you know how much you know how much physical suffering that must be after yeah. every game. 
you know, taking three or four cross checks or whatever it is. That's Craig Simpson about that. Like, I mean, he is battling hard (sighs) in front of the net in a highly physical way every single game. And I think it's a bad rap to suggest he is not a physical hockey player. Well, it depends on what you're looking for, Dave. If you're looking for big, booming hits, uh, what Yossi checks first and foremost is the puck. He's all over the puck. And he's, uh, I think you were the one that called him like a one-person radar jamming unit. Where, oh, that's oh, okay, a good one, well, whoever did that. Yeah, Kudos. okay. Yeah, okay. Well, you may have uh, amplified it then. Yeah. Uh, and I, I got it from you. Anyway, it was... Uh, uh, it's a good description of of what he does. He just, you know, he just gets in the area of the puck, and he's all over the puck, and it, he makes it very hard for the other guys to move it. And you can go in and finish the check, and the puck is gone, or you can go in and, and uh, jam up the works, and that's more his game. Remember, uh, <clears throat> you know, there, there's there's different ways to play, and there's there's you know, heavy hitting is not the big answer for everything. That said, tonight, yes, I had four shots, three hits, a block shot. You know, he was involved in the game and around the puck and uh, and uh, doing things in a lot a lot of different facets of the game. And uh, finally, rewarded with uh, with a uh, um, one that found the back of the net and wasn't called back by video review or any of that stuff. You know, and actually yeah. counted also. Yeah, he's he's an interesting player. Like, there's legs, arms going everywhere. He's like an octopus out there. And in fact, I think in Finnish, the word octopus is Puljujarvi. Mm-hmm. I just made yeah. that. But uh, all right, your second good thing, Bruce. Yeah, I'm going to go to the second Oilers goal scored uh, also early in the first period uh, by Derek Ryan. And uh, uh, what I liked about this was the entire sequence that occurred, and especially the the strong physical going to be uh, right. oh here you are you're back sorry you you, you froze ah, there for a second okay i'm going to the second goal uh yeah. derek ryan at 617 of the first and uh uh it was a play where uh the orders dumped the puck in uh but first zach cassian went strong to the end boards with a with a very strong forecheck and he jammed up the works and right after him in came uh derek ryan with a strong forecheck of his own uh that uh, basically uh, disrupted Dallas from getting out of their own zone. And because both forwards really sold out and gave it on the, on the forecheck, Edmonton was able to establish possession. And so it was that, it was the forechecks that I really liked about this goal. And then the, they moved the puck around. And uh, uh, Ryan McLeod took a shot that hit something in front of Dallas guy and just popped up in the air and up and over uh, the netminder, Scott Wedgwood, and hit the crossbar. And it bounced out uh, to the side, and it looked like they missed the chance. But Derek Ryan was hovering there, and he just hammered it into the net. As soon as he saw the little opening, it was off his stick and in the net. And so that was the wingers doing the hard grinding and then being the opportunists and jumping on the chance and putting it home. So, again, more wingers. But uh, strange combination, Cassian and Ryan, two right shots that normally play right wing together. But uh, they were out there with uh, Ryan McLeod. And uh, they had a dominant shift, and they were rewarded for it. Derek Ryan, uh, I thought, had his best game uh, maybe mm-hmm. of the year. Like he was just, he was just very. Uh, since he's moved to the wing, Bruce, yeah, he's actually he been really strong. Like he, he like not just good, like strong. Like he's really made a lot mm-hmm. of great plays. He's found a home. 
kind of a second life um, as a winger. Center's a hard position, and it was getting the best of him. But, uh, yeah, he's coming on. He's also found a, a better place after the coaching change. In fact, he was one player who was quite outspoken at the time of the change, saying how the depth players on the team had been kind of marginalized. And he didn't name Dave Tippett by name, but it was pretty obvious who he was talking about. And uh, he's uh, uh, he's been quite positive in you know the way that uh, the new coaching staff uh, have uh, spread the workload around a little bit more, and maybe even just done a little <clears throat> better better job of explaining exactly where the player fits in the in the rotation with the uh, eleven forwards, and just they seem to get these guys all over the boards on a regular basis. It seems not very often that somebody's just turned into stone on the bench because he's an extra. You know, they use all the guys, and it's uh, and, and, and Bruce, guys like Ryan are responding. They've completely gone away from that thing I didn't love, McDavid and Drysaddle together. I would have loved it if it was super successful, you know, if they scored mm-hmm. at a 66 70% goals right. for percentage. They didn't. Mm-hmm. And you you were, for years, McClellan, then Tippett was tying up their two best players. It worked some of the time. I'm not saying it never worked, you know, Clearly, the Earth Maroon, it really worked well. And for half a year with Cassian, it was kind of okay. But, you know, it never, it didn't really work. And it, and it, and it screwed the rest of the team, I think. And, um, you know, partly it's working now because they have better wingers. I mean, a van, having Evander Kane and Zach Hyman obviously makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. Having Yesapuli, Arvi, and Kyler Yamamoto coming into their own obviously makes a difference. Now, you, so I get some of the, you know, some of the thinking behind right. it. It was never a very good idea, I don't think, but anyway. Well, I would that. posit that um, uh, Woodcroft has gone the extra mile and, and uh, uh, untied Nugent Hopkins out of the top six because before it was either uh, McDavid and Drysaddle on the first line and Nugent on the second, or it was McDavid and Nugent on the first line and Drysaddle on the second, or maybe McDavid on the first and <clears throat> Nugent Drysaddle on the second, but the bottom six... Uh, you know, especially the 3C position was often found wanting. Well, now Nugent Hopkins is in there, and the three of them are running their own lines. What it almost seemed to me tonight, David, at times, was that Nuge was um, the center for all of the wingers and the and the bottom five. That they would sometimes he would go up with you know with with two guys, and then McDavid and Drysdale would take a shift, and then Nuge would be back out there with the other two guys, and that's how one way they were getting a, a five man. Uh, rotation and uh, anyway it's uh, uh nuge is uh, i thought he had a strong game tonight i thought he really battled for the puck and uh uh it was uh fun seeing both him and mcdavid pull off the old wayne gretzky face-off play pass it to yourself shoot it right into the boards and chase it and get it before anybody else even knows what you're planning to do with it but anyway, they they were they were they were winning some battles by being crafty and just by being strong on the puck, and that includes Nuge. Indeed, indeed. You know, I I think one of the keys, like to me, there's a number of obviously there's a number of keys for the playoffs, but one of them, like in my mind, is they have these three elite attacking offensive centers on the power play. They're all just brilliant. You know, McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins. But really, and, and I expect they're going to score in the playoffs. But for me, the key for the Oilers winning in the playoffs is how they do in the defensive slot. 
and I know I talk about this a lot. It's kind of an obs- mm-hmm. probably comes across as a bit of an obsession. Maybe it just comes from our review of the videos, video yeah. of of the uh, of all the great A shots. You know, we just see how many come from the slot. They all come from the slot, and who's either that the center has got to help out, or one of the forwards who's you know who's F one, who's ever F one. It's usually the center. I've not had been a fan of Nugent Hopkins in the past necessarily as a center because I often felt he got overpowered in that area. I think he's done better in this latest incarnation. I think he's more determined and more aware. I'm certainly seeing that from McDavid. And yep. I have no doubt that Drysettle can do it. I, I, I don't think he always does. But I think in the playoffs, he will. So I'm, I'm starting to get, that's one of the reasons I'm more bullish on the team is the fact that I think Nugent Hopkins can handle that very difficult, very difficult role of covering off the defensive slot. I'm liking Drysdale's mm-hmm. defensive game lately quite a lot. I think he's uh, uh, he's stepping up, uh, I agree. stepping back on the back check yes. like he's aware. And when the puck's going the other way, he's skating hard. He does make the odd mistake. He made one tonight where he where he, uh, had looked like he had control inside his own line and he tried to go back to CC in it. Kind of yeah, went sideways, a, and Dallas turned play. it into a good shot. But, uh, you know, that was one small thing out of uh, what uh, was generally a solid game from, well, yeah, uh, the team, really. He so rarely makes a turnover. That was quite – that's not the kind of mistake that Leon makes very often. Like, his his is more gambling for the gambling for the right. steal and being out of position. You know, Seeing less all, of that. Yeah. And the other thing that he tends to do is he likes to go – He's in the F1 position, but he leaves it to go cover the point, putting a smaller player down there. And I, and I would rather that, unless it's really essential that he make that shift, don't do it. Just stay down there and and, and help out. Anyway, he and McDavid and Nuge are all doing that, playing that better. And um, that's critical to the team's uh, playoff future here. Bruce, are we at your second good thing? Is that where we're at? Uh, that, did you... that was my, my second turn? good thing was that okay. uh, second Oilers goal oh that's right okay we got uh, i got my second good thing then we got we got off on uh, several different tangents there so i lost track of where we were um so my my second good thing was darnell nurse's hit on jamie ben which they you know they they showed a lot of discretion in terms of replaying that hit Bruce. they probably only showed it about 50 or 60 times uh-huh. during the broadcast so uh, <laughs> it was irresistible to keep replaying it and replaying it and replaying it. And I called uh, my wife who plays hockey and she, uh, she does, but she doesn't always watch the others, but I called her. She just had to, I wanted her to see that because it was such an amazing hit. Um, Sending um, Jamie Ben as, as it's known, ass over tea kettle uh, in (laughs) over the boards and into the orders bench. Um, A pretty clean hit. He might've got his elbow up a little bit, but um if there's a, you know, it's, he's one of the, Jamie Ben is one of these agitating, irritating, annoying, aggressive oiler killers. Um, he's not quite in Ryan Kessler, um, Corey Perry category, but he's just, just below that. So to, for have, to have Nurse blast him with that hit. Uh, <laughs> yes, that made me smile. It made me happy. Yeah, well, uh, as I said to my wife at the time, down goes Ben. And that's a joke you'll either get or you won't get, but I'm not going to explain it any further. Uh, <laughs> but uh, up and over and down went uh, Jamie Ben, and uh, nurse, uh, nurse finished the check and uh, 
Ben's been one of he's been one of these guys. He's kind of what is he the Ryan Getzlaff of uh, Dallas? You know, like he's a power forward with attitude and skill, and he can beat you in a lot of ways, and he can piss you off in even more ways than that. He's one of those kind of guys. So seeing him get a uh, coming out on second best on a, on a big physical encounter with a big physical player is uh, uh, it's all right. I don't mind that one at all. I just googled "down goes Ben." Oh, don't! <laughs> but okay, uh, I won't. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't it, find it. it. it some people on Twitter sphere will definitely get it, but uh, okay. I'll just leave, I'll just leave it there. All right, <laughs> all right, just leave it there. Okay, your bad thing, Bruce. Yeah, uh, I don't have much in the way of bad things, but I guess. One thing that kind of agitated me a little bit in this game, and the stats don't even say it was that bad, but it seemed like every time there was a face-off in Oilers' zone, <clears throat> Dallas would win the face-off, and they'd be whizzing some screenshot through traffic on net within about three seconds <clears throat> after the draw, and it happened a lot. That draw, last draw, two or three passes, bam, somebody's blasting a one-timer in, into traffic, and, and uh, just... Not enough faceoffs that were sawed off, you know. It's not even that you have to win them all, but you got to give your wingers time to get to get out to the points. And if you're losing them clean, and so that was uh, that was just sort of one thing that was getting my goat after after a while, right up to the last minute with the goalie out when Ben was winning faceoff after faceoff against both Ryan and Drysaddle at that particular little stretch. But uh, it was. Uh, 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 that's a pretty minor complaint. I'd rather do a third good thing than, than bad things out of this game. There's lots of good things happening with the Edmonton Oilers. That is a fair comment. A third third good thing would be in order, Bruce. Hmm. Uh, in that game, because it was a dominating performance against a good Dallas team. Okay, so uh, my bad thing. The, let's find out which goal it was. The goal against it was... The Oilers had a 2-0 lead, and it's in the first period. And um, Dallas has the puck deep in their own end, and Kane's forechecking, and he, you know, he um, forces, a, he gets a pass up the middle, and Zach Cassian goes to pick it off, right? And he just totally flubbed it, just missed the puck, and it goes flying through him. They go down. Uh, was it a two-on-one? It was a three-on-two, really. Yeah, it was a it was with a decent speed. rush with speed. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're charging in there with speed, and they get a they get a good shot. And Kulak's in a tough spot, uh, Brett Kulak, because he's got to come all the way over on this three-on-two. That's right, it was a three-on-two. He's got to come all the way over to go to the shooter who's in the middle of the ice all of a sudden from covering, mm-hmm. you know, because they're they're trying to cover off everybody. And then he gets a stick on the puck, and it goes high and breaks Mike Smith's shutout streak um, on that play. So um, I guess if you're going to try to make that pick off, you know, that the yeah. uh, the uh, you're going to gamble for offense. Well, win the gamble. Don't lose the gamble, because um, sometimes when you lose the gamble, there's a goal against. I think he was gambling for defense. He just didn't make the play like he was. He was F1. So because he missed <clears> it <throat> and it went through him, there was trouble. Like McDavid was kind of counting on Hyman to. To be back and and Hyman ste- or sorry on Cassian and Cassian stepped up thinking he was going to intercept the pass but he ju- he just couldn't control it and yeah, through it went and then all of a sudden there's only two D men left and uh, and three uh, 
uh, three Dallas guys and three, you know, they're three top players. Man, that line of uh, Rupi Hints and, and uh, uh, Joe Pavelski and um, uh, Robertson, Jason Robertson, three terrific players. And, you know, uh, two of them in the 35 goal club now, you know. And they, but I mean, Robertson and, and Hints both scored tonight, and they each scored in all three games against Edmonton this year. And it's no fluke 37 for one, 35 for the other. And you give those guys a space like what happened to Cassie in there, boom. Yeah, you're right. And it wasn't a huge, like, and again, like there wasn't a lot bad in that game. So that's the worst. <laughs> and it wasn't that bad. It was a mistake in the neutral zone. So um, that's not, and it wasn't a heinous kind of thing either. Smith's failure to cover the puck on the 2-2, but uh, yeah, that was, know, that was on Mike bigger. Smith after that game. He did a lot good in that game, and he had, yeah. certainly had a mistake there, but that was it was kind of a, the only sort of significant one that, that he made. Mike Smith's save percentage is now 913, oh, uh, well which enough. for goalies yeah. who have played more than 20 games this year in the NHL, he's ranked 17th overall, Bruce. So <laughs> quite, a, quite a miraculous comeback. Just an aside on Mike Smith, I did a, little, a quick post. I was spurred on by uh, Oilers uh, fan and friend of the Celtic Hockey, uh, Murdoch Davis. He was wondering how often 40-year-old goalies had success in the playoffs. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just, quant hockey makes it really easy to search that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And That's a really good site. <laughs> it is. There's a number of 40-year-old goalies who have, had, who have taken their teams to the Stanley Cup finals. Mm-hmm. You know, start, go, you go way back. Right. In the 1930s, there's George Hainsworth. But great you know, George for modern Hainsworth. times, there's uh, Johnny Bauer, who did it. Uh, th- he won three Stanley Cups, 38 when he was 38, 39, and 42. And uh, Sawcheck and Plant were both in the Stanley Cup finals um, mm-hmm. in 68 and then 69. They were 38 and 39 years old. Gump Worsley at 39. Glenn Hall and Plant, yeah. Yeah, uh, Glenn Holland's 1970 and Plant in 1970. Gump Worsley in 1969 was the Stanley Cup winner at age 39 um, for the Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominic Hasek played four games for Detroit at age 42 in the 2008 Stanley Cup run, where the Detroit Red Wings won. And then Martin Brodeur was in the finals in 2012 at age right. 39. Stanley Cup uh, finals. Actually, and, and Quant Hockey considers Smith in his 39-year-old season this right. year. Same as Brodeur. <laughs> Brodeur mm-hmm. was so... And you know what I was thinking, Bruce, and I don't, maybe you can speak to this because Brodeur was really good with the puck <sighs> and Jacques Plant was really good with the puck. Was, mm-hmm. And I, I, like Johnny Bauer was king of the poacher. Was he, you, you, you might have a memory of this. Like, cause I, don't, I do, I do. And he was, puck. he was, he was all right. I mean, he was, uh, Jacques Plant was, was the best, but I think jo- Johnny Bauer was, uh, was probably next. Like he, uh, uh, he had the guts of a burglar. Johnny Bauer, you have to do that poke check, especially diving bare face first into a guy's skates yeah. to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was uh, he was quite adept, but uh, uh, I can't speak to George Hainsworth's puck handling. Uh, Are you his sure? puck stopping, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> I can. He was outstanding. He had a, a late, he broke into the NHL at 31, and he had a great career that uh, uh, he had the record for shutouts that Sawchuck broke. Well, didn't they hold the goldie sticks like this, Bruce? Still, yeah, like, yeah, 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 like a regular hockey stick. Yeah, um, for, for a while in the twenties there, I think. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, the puck. I mean, Brodeur was a fantastic puck handler his whole career, yeah. best I've ever seen, and I would say by some margin, because uh, he just didn't make uh, other than one very high-profile 
uh, embarrassing, uh, 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 what do they call it, blooper reel goal in the Stanley Cup Finals against Anaheim, where he dropped his stick and the puck hit his stick and bounced through his legs and into the net. And honestly, he made so few mistakes. His judgment was impeccable. His passing was impeccable. He was Mike Smith on Mike Smith's best night every night. Like that's that was Marty Brodeur. Like and and. Not so much sort of the real flamboyant, high-risk, long-bomb plays, but just good plays, good plays, good plays, over and over and over again. He'd start to break out for the for the Devils. Yeah. So I, it was an interesting thing with these older goalies. There seemed to be a bit of a trend there. And I wonder if that's one of the things that enables them to survive in the game longer. Is there... They're, they're, there, mm-hmm. I think it, I think it's a, like a physical skill, obviously, like passing the puck. And it's, it, it helps in strategy, like you get the puck out of your end. Oh. But it also might speak speak to a kind of a strategic mind uh, mm-hmm. and a way of uh, looking at the game. Just su- a super smart hockey player is what I'm trying to say. And mm-hmm. these guys might have that in common. Um, and so you'd have to look at it. I don't like some of the other older goalies who have had success in the playoffs. And I don't and I can't re- quite remember whether they could handle the puck well or not. But Tony Esposito, I think, was a fairly good puck handler. Jerry Cheevers. Um, Ed Belfour. Ed Belfour was outstanding. Yeah. And Gump Worsley's the other one. So I have no memory of Worsley. I, I do think, and, and I'm not sure about Cheevers <laughs> and Esposito, if I'm honest. I can't remember. Yeah. I think Esposito was pretty good with the puck, but I'm not sure. Anyway, that was an interesting uh, research project. Mm-hmm. Bruce, your number. Yeah, I'm going to go with 7-0. and oh. Uh, and that is the Edmonton Oilers record with young Ben Stelter in attendance. Uh, I don't think we've given Ben a shout out in this podcast yet, and it's long overdue. Man, what a story! Uh, and uh, it's not, it's hard not to fall in love with this kid. They, you know, they show a video of him, and he's always laughing and giggling for all of the, uh, you know, the trauma and and uh, problems that he's going through physically and presumably, if you think, emotionally and and just health wise. Uh, he he seems always so upbeat and enjoying his time in the sun, his, you know. And maybe that his life is short, but he's sure getting the most out of it. And the people in the community have responded big time. And a shout out to to them, you know, the people that have sort of turned this this uh, story into uh, you know something that's very significant. I think there, there's not many people probably watching these games that aren't a little moved to see what's going on with young Ben and the team itself has responded with seven straight wins. So it's amazing. Eh? It's, nice and it is, you can get it. <laughs> yeah. He it missed is. the, he missed the Colorado game, the two, one shootout loss because it was an eight o'clock start. So it's going to go too late. Oh, and otherwise he's been, they keep bringing him back because the team keeps winning and it keeps working. So why not? Right. There so, Kate Smith. Anyway. So yeah, shout out to you, Ben Stelter and to your whole family. You're standing, Tall and tough during this difficult time. Yeah, way to go, Ben. Way to go, buddy. And it is being at the rink and or just watching on TV when it, when his face comes on and there's such a charge. Like it's you just mm-hmm. you're it's overwhelming the emotion to see this little guy uh, fighting through what he's fighting through. So, and I guess he's taking medications that make make him a little puffy, right? So that yeah, that's, yeah, because he's part of it. Of but, yeah. You see his sister, and he comes by it honestly, but I think some of that, too, is the medication. But uh, anyway, it's hard not to, to uh, fall in love with that little guy and uh, to see the team respond, to see him enjoying this whole phenomenon. It's just uh, great times. 
Remember that gal with uh, St. Louis uh, three years ago? No, I don't. St. Louis Blues, uh, they had the young gal that was... Mm -hmm. uh, they kept they kept playing that song for her. Oh my goodness, my memories. If this was 1969, I would remember it all. But they had the the uh, famous song that they kept playing when they scored goals and won games, and it was uh, uh, for this one uh, young gal who was a cancer victim. And it's the same kind of story. So Stanley Cup is obviously next. <laughs> Indeed, Bruce. My number is, and this is an estimate of a number. It's 153. And that those are the um, that's the 153 is the time on ice one minute and 53 seconds that that Jay Woodcroft kept Connor McDavid out at the end of the game. And I know they're all saying that's not that important that he wins the scoring title and it's a team game, blah blah blah. But I loved it. I loved it with the empty net that they just kept Connor McDavid on the ice the whole time that they pretty much could. And finally, with about with three seconds left. He put it in the net. He broke down the ice. Uh, you know, I think it was Duncan Keith, if I'm not yep. mistaken, who made a nice pass over. And uh, Drysdale broke the puck out, mm-hmm. and Keith made the nice pass. McDavid charged in there and got the goal. Fantastic. I, I mean, I was hoping for it the whole time. That was the only thing I was. It, it didn't. It was never in doubt the score. I don't think because Dallas had not put on a lot of pressure on the owners. Now they did get a couple good chances in in that sequence. But uh, I was just hoping, hoping, hoping that McDavid would get a break. I mean, um, on Owners Now Today, Bob Stoffer was talking about McDavid's low on-ice percentage at even strength and how he hasn't had a lot of puck luck. And I think that's probably true. Like, he and his line mates have been thwarted a bit more than, yeah. than average this year. Even percentage is down. Yeah. So um, it's nice to see him get a cheapie. Couldn't happen mm-hmm. to a greater NHL MVP, uh, future Art Ross, future Con, um, future Con Smythe future um heart trophy winner for this coming this season all right i'm going to cheat i'm going to cheat all right Uh, here's a hockey here's a hockey related set of of numbers this is this is put in perspective the order seven defensemen five of them absolutely dominated shot shares tonight and darnell nurse and cody cc were high for high against high event in high minutes so this is Rupee Hints, Dallas's, let's call him best player, representative of their best line. His ice time at 5-on-5 five five tonight uh, against Oilers defenseman, 12.55 against Nurse, 12.28 against CeCe. And then you have to go all the way down to Evan Bouchard at 1 minute and 10 seconds for the next one. Duncan Keith, 107. Wow. Chris Russell, 43 seconds. Brent Kulak, 37 seconds. Tyson Berry, 12 seconds. Those guys played all of the ice time against Dallas's best line. And that maybe explains why the other defensemen were really able to uh, go to town against Dallas's best players. And if you just looked at the numbers in isolation, you'd say, geez, that that, that pairing struggled defensively. They gave up more than any other pairs by a lot. But guess what? They were eating it against Dallas's top guys all night long. So it's it's the hardest thing to do is to rate defensemen by numbers, like honestly. And that's why there's such, I think, disagreement on defensemen on the value. Of def- there's more disagreement on the value of a defenseman than any other position. And mm-hmm. it's because some people invest a lot in the numbers that they believe right. in. And yeah. they just, they're wedded to them and you can't. And so. And others invest in their eye, eye tests and what, yes. and what they think and how they think the position should be played. If they're yes. like a physical defenseman, they're going to be all over the finesse guy, you know, or, or vice yeah. versa. 
So what I've noticed, and I put a lot of stock in our numbers, in the in their mm-hmm. grade eight numbers, but what I do notice in those numbers is you have to be very careful about thinking about, especially the, with the defenseman, the quality of competition. Yes. Because the third pairing defenseman, their numbers may be significantly impacted um, in terms of scoring chances for and against um, because of their quality of competition. And the guys like Nurse and CeCe, if you have a guy like Nurse, and he's got the best grade A scoring chance, individual scoring chance, plus minus the way we, we rated on the team. If he's number one on the team, mm-hmm. you know you've got a great player. And he's not number one this year in this category, but Cody Cece is, I believe. And, um, you know, he's been top four all year, and now he's top pairing for the last 20 games or so. You know Cody Cece is really playing strong hockey if he's leading the team in that category. Like, he's he's been so impressive. So, um, I thought it was terrific tonight in his lumbering yeah. way. You think he lumbers? Bump, yeah, I do. Like, I, you know, like he's not a real free flowing skater, he just gets there and he's he's there and he's in the way a lot. And then, uh, uh, you know, he uh, uh, but he's I wouldn't call him a gifted skater, but uh, uh, uh he uh, you know, he made some good plays just bumping the puck off the boards. He made a terrific shot block and what appeared to be an open side of net. Uh, won some battles, a uh, uh, couple of takeaways, and I just thought his his overall game was was strong. You know, yeah, I think no, I, po- no points, but twenty four minutes of uh, of uh, hard grinding. Yeah, I'm such a terrible skater myself that I would never. I wouldn't. <laughs> I know you're just comparing them to their NHL players, so there's that. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. he's he skates better than Adam Larson, but not by a huge he, margin. He, he's, you know, he okay. does. He does skate better than Adam Larson. <laughs> Larson was maybe I'm comparing him to his partner, who's a very gifted skater. So there's yeah. that. Yeah, well. <clears throat> a better positional player than Darnell Nurse. Um, since we're sneaking in extra numbers, Bruce, here's mine. Okay. Since Jay <laughs> Woodcroft took over. 33 games as the uh, head coach, 22 wins. They have a 7-12 points percentage. Um, that is fourth in the NHL, behind only Florida at 8-10 in that same time period, Colorado 7-50, and Calgary 7-35. Three first-place teams. The Oilers are at 7-12. You, you go with the start of the season and the end of the season, and it's easy to be optimistic about the Edmonton Oilers. You know, it's quite sobering, that middle part, though. So mm-hmm. who do we have? What team do we have? Well, going into the playoffs, Bruce, I, I'm getting increasingly bullish on this team. I'm getting increasingly confident that they're going to win, win a round, and maybe win another round. Um, see what happens after that. But it's if they can get if Smith can keep playing like this, backed up by Koskinen, um, they have a chance. Well, they passed a good test tonight. I mean, this is this is a good Dallas team that's hard on the forecheck, and that's been at times Oilers' weakness with the other team that really gets on them in the defensive zone. I mean, that's hard for any team. And after the Oilers had the, you know, the early surge and the 2 nothing lead in this game, and then Dallas chipped away and it was 2-1, and then they kind of got the cheesy one where Smith couldn't cover it up, and it was 2-2, and they were still bottling Oilers up for a while, and I'm thinking, geez, this is going the wrong way. And the Oilers found another gear, and they just took the game back over. And the last five minutes of the second and really for for much of the third i mean we didn't have dallas with many dangerous shots in the third at all with orders nursing a 4-2 lead so they uh they they showed uh you know they bounced back within the game 
to to re reassume command of that game. So that's uh, that's a real positive. Since the down moment of that loss to the Wild, five um, one loss to the Wild, they've just pulled you know against three teams that are fighting to get in the playoffs, desperate teams you'd think. Mm-hmm. They've got three pretty convincing wins in a row. So good for them, Oilers. Well, they were, they uh, went into the seven-game span. There's one left against Colorado, against playoff contenders. And, I mean, Vegas might be on the outside looking in, but they're, they're clearly all big games for their opponents and all tough teams. And I thought, you know, they're sitting in a good position, but if they can win four out of these next seven games, that's sort of like a pre-playoff test of a, you know, a seven-game set against uh, strong opponents. Well, at this moment, they're 4-1-1, one, and one, and they've already won the series and there's still a game to go so they passed that test with flying colors and because of that they're going to be just uh you know they're they're zooming into the playoffs they're not backing in at all it's it's all straight on ahead Alrighty, bruce let's let's leave it there thank you for talking tonight yeah just looking up the the vague score in the third period because it's still the other games matter a little bit and I will say that score, which is oh three to two for Vegas now with uh, seven minutes yeah. left. All right, there you go. Washington was ahead, but whatever. We're almost at the point now where what happens elsewhere is uh, doesn't matter. Is, uh, is uh, of less concern. The orders are going to get in on their own merits. So, so with that, I'll say thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.